All right, we are back. I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Standing by to join me is Goldie Taylor, and she is a veteran journalist, cable news political analyst, and human rights activist. She has written this incredible book, The Love You Save. It's a memoir, and she's here to join us. Hi, Goldie. Welcome. Hi, thank you. I am so glad uh, Leslie Rossman introduced us. Uh, This book is so powerful. When did you know you were ready or wanted to write this story? You know, it wasn't a story that I had intended to tell. I've said that, I think, a lot. Mm -hmm. But there came a time, I think, in uh, 2019, that the story itself just stopped me in my tracks. It almost demanded that I write it down. And so it started with an essay for the Daily Beast. The response from it was so overwhelming, hearing from so many other survivors that I knew I wanted to tell the rest of the story. But I think I had to give myself permission to do that, permission to talk about the people who populated my life when I was coming up as a young girl and people who inhabit my life today, people I love and care about. And how would I care for them in the confines of this book? Without giving so much away, could you give the listeners uh, a brief synopsis? Well, I I don't know who your listeners are, and so I don't want to give them any uh, triggers here. But I suffered an assault when I was 11 years old. And that is really the inciting incident. Everything in my life changed after that. Within a few months' time, I was sent to live with an aunt who lived in what I call a bottomed-out city in East St. Louis, Illinois, and lived there for the next several years. What the book is really about is that time, how a little girl of 11 years old comes to heal herself. Uh, What does she find in terms of support from family? What does she find in the surrounding neighborhood that was dealing with its own list of calamities? What does she find inside of a schoolroom? Mm -hmm. So the story really is about me coming of age from 11 until I'm around 16. When I talk about, you know, the impact that assault had on me and the impact of poverty, you know, of housing instability, of food instability, the impact of gun violence on our lives. My father was murdered when I was just five. Mm-hmm. Um, and so living with that, living with those traumas, really is what the book was about and about what it's like to come out of the other side. It's it's such a powerful book. And I was reading different parts and my jaw was dropping. And I thought, how did this little girl stay so resilient? Were there things you do or th- that you did or things you said to yourself, like uh, something to keep you going? I think what I realized very early on is that my life wasn't my own, that decisions were being made for me, about me, uh, without my real participation. That only when I gathered, you know, through outside influences, reading James Baldwin, Nikki Giovanni, reading Maya Angelou and and, uh, Toni Morrison, reading those writers helped me to make sense of my own world, helped me to make sense of what was going on outside. There's those kinds of voices that, I learned I had a voice for myself, that it could be a participant and the captain of my own ship. And so our life, my life really began again when I was around 13, when I was making choices for myself and demanding that they be heard and respected. Mm. Um, I had a very difficult relationship with my mother. Um, it was filled with abuse, physical and emotional, and she asked me to leave at 16, and I was fortunate to go live with my dad, even though I didn't know him very well. But uh, for people that have suffered abuse, I feel that you um, really resonate with them um, because you're open with what happened. I am open, and I decided that if I were going to write this book, then there would be candor on the page 
that I would hide from nothing, that I would hide myself from nothing. And that meant my relationship with my mother as well. As a young girl, we were very, very distant. In the time since, well, we've become best friends. But I'll tell you that that was a hard-fought relationship for she and for me. It meant that there had to be a, a piece of healing happening on both sides so that we could come together as women, learning to respect one another's traumas, one another's experiences, learning to find joy together, together again. And so the book really is about the beginning of that journey and wanting to put my mother into context to talk about some of the traumas that she suffered as a young girl, those that she continued to suffer as a grown woman raising children on her own. And so I wanted to give her that level of context. I think today, as our relationship has grown and has flourished, it's been because of that, It's because we've been able to give recognition to one another. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So I have a question, because I mentioned to you, I saw your interview on The View, and you mentioned that your mom's your best friend, and I thought, as a writer, sometimes we're hesitant to put down our experiences. When you were done with this book, had you already connected uh, on a different level with your mom? Were you thinking, oh, I don't want her to read that? Or were you fine? Were you just saying, hey, this is what happened to me. I'm going to just share this. I had. We had already begun to really connect in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. She knew most of the story before I put it down. Um, and we shed our tears about those things. We shared our tears about the things that she didn't know, the things she didn't know happened to me, and the things that she did know, and how she decided was best to reckon with them. Mm-hmm. You know, there are uh, lots of times when we talk about what we may have done differently back then. But what I know most about my mother is that she gave me every single ounce of everything that she had, and she never stopped doing that. And so if she thought there were a better, safer place for me to be, then she made that so. Mm-hmm. But... I, I real, as I talk about in the book, my mother bought her first home when I was turning 15, 15 years old. She bought that house for me. You know, looking back now and wow. looking um, about how she fashioned her life, she was out struggling trying to put it together every day because she wanted a safe place for me to be. Mm-hmm. And so she bought that house in a new neighborhood so that I could have a safe place, a place of peace. Wow. You know, and also she was so busy as a single working mom going through her own personal struggles. She wasn't able to give you, um, you know, the love, the emotional connection. I know that must have really hurt as a child, though. I think as a child, you can't see clearly. Yeah. Um, while your mother works a uh, evening shift and then leaves that at 11 or 12 and goes to an overnight shift. Mm-hmm. And that when you see her, it's coming in from school and she's headed out the door. I don't think that as you know, children, we understand why a parent would need to do such a thing. Why couldn't she, as I uh, used to muse, be a stay-at-home mom like Mrs. Farrell down the road? Mm-hmm. Why couldn't she be with me always? And so those were some of the things that were missing as a young girl. I didn't really reconcile them until I grew older, got married and divorced, and raised children on my own. Mm-hmm. And knew what the struggle was like to stay engaged with your children while you're out trying to make a living. The other thing I want to ask you is, um, have any of your other family members read this in particular? I think you had a cousin that tormented you. She did. <laughs> okay. Um, Good. <laughs> her, name, her name is Bug in the book. Yeah. And I went to St. Louis just at the beginning of February for a book signing tour. Okay. And Bug and her son, Marcio, who's also in the book, mm-hmm. they were sitting in the front row. 
Um, it was such a surprise for me and a glorious surprise. Okay. The bug is now 61 years old, uh, and I'm turning 55 this coming summer. The ways in which she has grown are simply remarkable. Mm. When I look at the way I say that she tormented me, well, I wasn't alone. She was um, one who was quick to come to fisticuff. <laughs> she was quick to swing. Yeah. Um, but just a couple of days after that book signing, she called me up to say, I know your story because it's mine. Mm. And for the first time, told me about the sexual abuse she endured as a young girl at the hands of an even older cousin. Mm. And so Doug was working out her torment on others. Yeah. She, like me, never had a chance to be a pediatrician about it, never had a chance to be a therapist about those things. She had to do as I did, roll your shoulders back and keep going. Yeah. I was just telling my daughter this um, yesterday that when someone's angry, a lot of times if you unpack it, it comes from fear or hurt. Yes, that's absolutely true for me. And it's true for Bug and for some of the other people who populate the book that we had our own cast of sorrows and hurt that we worked out on other people. Mm-hmm. I think the adage goes, hurt people, hurt others. But that was absolutely true in our family. Did did motherhood uh, cause you to um, unpack this trauma? Was it was it becoming a mom or is it earlier? Later. It was even later. It was later. That becoming a mom said something is wrong here. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really begin to unpack it until my children were in their late teens, headed into their 20s, where I decided that I personally needed help, mm-hmm. that I needed to go and sort this out someplace. My children had seen it really all along. And in fact, my oldest daughter, Katie, has written her own memoir oh. about two weeks before mine, Fantastic. in between. Wow. And it talks about how my trauma worked itself out on them. Sure. Yeah. Did you find yourself overly protective of your children as they were growing up? I did. Yeah. I built an island for us. I um, you know, looked over every play date. Uh, they weren't allowed to stay the night with certain relatives. Mm-hmm. That we really did build an island in, in into the four of us, myself yeah. and three children. Yeah. It's so, it, see, this is why this resonated with me, because I, through the pandemic, I uh, felt as a mom and my girls were getting older, I had not dealt with certain things. So I started seeing a therapist and it was one of the best decisions I made. Best decision that I made in my entire life. I continue it today. Mm-hmm. Um, I encourage it for people who I say just need a tune-up, just need to go and check in. Yes. And so I continue my check-ins regularly just to make sure that I'm keeping things in balance, keeping the appropriate perspective. Absolutely. So the essay turned into the proposal, which turned into the book. Yes. <laughs> I needed a little urging at every step of the way. I mean, even before the essay was written, my oldest daughter said, Mom, I think you need to write this down. Mm. And when I did write it down, she asked again, well, are you going to publish it? I said, I think I have to. When that was published, I had an agent at WME who represented me on other things, radio and television, who said, you know, I'd like to give this to the book group. Um, we've read it. We find it profound. And we think you should write a memoir. It took me a while before I could say yes to that. But when I did, I was finished with that book proposal in 30 days, <laughs> a 100-page book proposal, and then mm. blew through the book the first part of the coming year in 2020. Wow. And um, when did you know you wanted to become a writer? Because I know you had teachers that were incredible mentors to you. I have been writing, I believe, my whole life long. Um, you know, when I got to the seventh or eighth grade, 
and had an honors English teacher who taught me how to put it into form. That was something new. But I've been writing stories since I was four or five years old. I've been telling stories since then. And so I've been a writer my entire life. It was the only thing that really kept me grounded aside from every other storm in life. And so I wake every morning and have for probably the last 40 years, and I write in the journal. Um, there's always a short story going. There's always an essay going someplace. Some of it never published. Some of it has been. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is my lifeline. That's Putting a story down has been the one thing I think that saved my life. Would you say that led you to become a journalist? Oh, it certainly did. You know, when I had um, what I say no other skill in life, I could report, I could write a story, I could get to the essence of, you know, the story that was. And so it was my first and really only career. I've been a writer as communications um, uh, vice president. I've been a writer as a um, as a reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I've been a writer for NBC News, for CNN, and now I'm a writer of books. Sensational. I love this. And you've been a guest on so many programs. I have indeed. You know, every time my mother looks around, she says she flips the television channel and there I am again. (laughs) And so so I've had a great life uh, on television as a commentator for CNN and MSNBC uh, and done a great number of radio programs across public radio stations around the country. And so, yes, I've had quite a career as a journalist and I hope for more. How does this feel, knowing this story is out in the world? I know colleagues were very surprised because they they knew you, but they didn't really truly know you. Oh, certainly. You know, there are colleagues who read it now and say, aha, now I get it. Um, and so the, so the book to me was as if I were writing to a group of friends to tell them, you know, who I am, mm-hmm. how I've presented myself to you, to answer the reasons why. And... For so many of my friends, so many of my family, it really does unlock the mysteries of things. Today, I am just grateful to have a cast of friends and colleagues who are so incredibly supportive and have been of this work. Um, You know, a day doesn't go by that I don't get another call that says, you know, that happened to me, Mm -hmm. or I have a similar story, or I know someone just like that. Yes. And that's really what the story is about. The story is about to give myself a witness but to allow others, you know, the avenue to be their own witnesses. And isn't there also a tremendous satisfaction of putting the the story into a book and then not putting it to rest, but just putting it on the shelf and and just knowing you were able to put those feelings out on the page? You know, I I likened it to, you know, wearing a winter coat in the summertime. Mm, But I finally had an opportunity to take it off Mm -hmm. and lay it down, put it into its proper perspective. And so as the book launched a few weeks ago, it was a little scary um, at first because you don't know how people are going to take your story. Right. But now that I have given it some time to rest, it truly is a feeling of relief. It's a feeling of liberation that I'm not carrying it around anymore. Wow. Incredible. Anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with? Well, I think that the, the, the best thing that I can tell them is we know how this story ends, although... You know, there is some sadness and some pains inside of those pages that we know that I go on to have a great life, that we know that I go on to thrive, and that I have three incredibly brilliant children and our grandchildren, and that in my mind, anything and everything is still possible for me. What I want readers to know is that anything and everything is possible for them, too, no matter what it is.
It's beautiful. And do you, because I, I know how I feel about my daughters and how I treat them and love them. Do you feel that um, you treat them in a sense the way you wish you had been treated? And I'm not negating your mom, but I'm just saying sure, do sure. You just love them and squeeze them the way you want it to be squeezed. That is absolutely true. I'm raising my now turning 10-year-old granddaughter, mm-hmm. and I have two grown daughters. And I know that we connect very differently. That love is an open thing. Yeah. That it isn't something secret or hidden, that hugs are bound, that you know, uh, public displays of affection, although maybe it, <laughs> maybe <laughs> it, um, <laughs> um, it gets them a little uncomfortable now, but it still happens. Yeah. But there are just, we don't let a day go by without telling one another how much we love each other. Sure. So I think that's important. It didn't happen in our family. It wasn't something that was uttered. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is beautiful. I want to thank you so much for calling in. If you want more information about Goldie Taylor, you can visit GoldieTaylor.com. That's G-O-L-D-I-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com. Anywhere else they can find you? I'm on every social network imaginable. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and so you can find me in all of those places. And this would make an amazing movie. I hope so. (laughs) Is that in the works? Well, it isn't going to work just yet. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, we're headed upon a, what will look like a writer strike and some other things happening in Hollywood. Sure. And what I've been told is, if you really believe in the story, Goldie, write the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's probably going to happen this summer. That would be fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Janine. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Take care, Goldie. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Goldie Taylor, a veteran journalist, cable news political analyst, and human rights activist, and the author of the memoir, The Love You Save. And all the information is on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. We're going to listen to a little music, and then Sheldon Abbott is standing by to take over at 10 o'clock with Cure for the Blues. Have a great Monday, everyone.